It's the big one. The Sky Half Price Sale is here. Choose from award-winning Sky TV and everything on Netflix or unmissable sports with every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports all half price. Take Sky Cinema and watch the biggest blockbusters or grab Sky Broadband Ultrafast for lightning fast speeds. Choose one that suits you. They're all half price for six months. Save big in the Sky Half Price Sale. Search Sky Half Price. Availability subject to location, TV and broadband products sold separately. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speed. Setup fees, min terms and further terms apply. Offer ends 2nd of September. In another lifetime, one of gore and blood, men were thrust into the chaos of war. The decision to go, for some, was not made through own agency or with through visions of war. Death, destruction, gore and suffering were not the messages on the flyers distributed to the young men of the world. Instead, glory, glory, glorious glory was the theme of those in politics looking to fulfil their own sadistic egos with the disregard for death as just another tax the poor man on the street must pay. With no real images of war available to be streamed into the homes as can be done today, the realities of war were not a reality one the ordinary people were accustomed to. Visions of foreign lands were shared with the young, and war would be their avenue to explore the planet which remained alien for them. If you lived in the time of this, what might your life have looked like? What would your Christmas have looked like? It's the story of a man from Greystones, Wicklow, which answers these questions for us. This is his story. In Madras, India, in 1878, a child was born. His name was Arthur Moore O'Sullivan. Arthur was one of the children born to parents Sidney Jane O'Sullivan and Patrick O'Sullivan, both of Greystones, Wicklow. It was his father Patrick's work which brought the young family from Wicklow to India. As a young man, as he courted Sidney Jane, he learned quickly from her father, who was from a higher class to Patrick, that he would too need a status in order to take his daughter's hand in marriage. Her father was William Daniel Moore, a Dublin doctor who was from a family with a strong history in the medical profession. In fact, his own great-grandfather was a well-known apothecary. William Daniel was not only well-known and respected doctor, he was also a man of high culture, an excellent linguist and a writer. In order to be accepted into the family, or to be even associated with one of them, Patrick had to gain a job where they would be comfortable having him in their home or sharing drinks with the fancy boys of the higher classes at one of their stiff parties. He was advised to enter the legal profession in order to be accepted, but he would be required to achieve a high position. His pathway through education would have been paved by her family and doors would have been open for him to achieve this. For the love of his soon-to-be wife, he did so, and by the time his son Arthur entered the world, he was the Advocate General of Madras. This gave him a role suitable for his wife's family as he was an advisor for the British Council in the legal matters of Madras. 
when Arthur was born, Patrick knew, in order for another Irishman to be accepted in the world, he would need to reach a certain level of society. He was educated in the schools wherever his father's work would take him, but spent time in Wicklow over the summers, visiting cousins and understanding his identity in the world as an Irishman. He understood he was not like the other boys in the schools. Those from the higher classes all understood him to be different too. In 1900, after his schooling was over, Arthur was advised to join the army as his way of achieving status. This would be the Irishman's best route to being recognised as civilised. He first joined the Oxfordshire Light Infantry. It was with this group he fought in the South African War, and as a result of his role in the war, he was promoted to second lieutenant. After his promotion, Arthur learnt of a group called the Royal Irish Rifles, and proud of his heritage, requested to be transferred, he wanted to fight alongside those he recognised as being like him. Over the next eight years, Arthur toured with the British Army, proudly wearing the badge of the Irish Rifles on his uniform. He was first promoted to lieutenant, and later was made the captain of the Royal Irish Rifles 1st Battalion. He was very proud of himself for having achieved this. He saw this as an opportunity to fight side by side with other proud Irishmen, and not only lead them into battle, but also lead them into safety. In 1914, the Irish Rifles landed in Le Havre, France, and marched to the western front of World War I, led by the now very experienced Arthur. The scenes they would see over the next few weeks and months would be among the worst humankind has ever seen, and possibly will ever see. This group of brave men would report the following. Vital rations eaten by rats. The rotting of feet due to lack of change of socks or boots. The rotting corpses of their friends being used as seats to keep the alive off the mud. The same corpses being feasted on by rats the wounded being feasted on by rats. Crouching was the best form of movement, as if your head appeared above the trench, you were likely shot. Killings by officers of the soldiers who did not go over the top of the trenches in no man's land. Most of the men suffered from trench fever, a crippling pain which pulsed through the body. Gangrene was a common sight on the wounds of most soldiers. Other intestinal parasites were common, such as tapeworm. There were also individual horrors, such as one soldier reporting his hand having gone through the decomposing stomach of a friend as he climbed through a trench. For four months he carried the smell of his rotten friend's insides under his fingernails. It was a horrible five months into the war, when hundreds of thousands of men lay dead across Europe. Modern warfare through humanity and left piles and piles of corpses on top of the trenches. Neither side was particularly fond of fighting at this point. They had come to realise that they were the playthings of the political classes and they were dying to protect those egos. Soldiers began to recognise that those on the other side were suffering too 
and there are reports of both sides intentionally missing their targets in order to shoot to try and save some human life. This however only lasted so long as the superior officers began executing their own soldiers should they believe them to show sympathy for the enemy. The Royal Irish Rifles had been on the forefront of all things horrible at war. Many of the soldiers reported a lack of sleep for days on end, either because they were being shelled throughout the night and watching their friends torn to pieces, or not being able to get a minute's sleep as one of their colleagues developed PTSD and spent dust till dawn screaming hysterically. On Christmas Eve 1914, as Arthur sat in his trench, watching for movement across no man's land, he heard a German accent shout, Do not shoot after 12 o'clock, and we will not do so either. Arthur shouted back, looking for them to explain, fearing a trap has been set for them. The voice shouted back, If you come out and talk to us, we won't fire. Arthur, confused, turned to his men and said, Well boys, what do you make of that? The soldiers all thought up theories as to what the potential ambush could be. Then as twelve o'clock struck, one of the Irish rifles turned to Arthur and said, I'm going. Better be killed trying for peace than eaten by rats here. He put his rifle on top of the trench and stood up. He walked over the trench top and towards the German lines. No soldier had gone as far in once. He then disappeared into the German trench. A few moments later, he could be heard singing Silent Night. Hearing this, Arthur led the other Irish rifles without weapons over the trench tops where they are met by the Germans in the middle of no man's land. The Germans handed over cigars and some alcohol. The Irish handed over chocolate and whatever else they had on them. The Irish rifles and the Germans swapped stories of war, their homes and theorised on when they might get home. It being Christmas, neither excited expected to still be there. They allowed each other collect and bury their dead, stranded in no man's land. Some of the Irish rifles went into the German trenches to sing songs and tell stories, as did the Germans to theirs. In the chaos of war, a day of peace had broken out. The message spread down the lines of what the Irish rifles and the Germans were up to, and more and more brigades did the same, with games of football breaking out instead of fighting. 12 o'clock that night, Arthur led his men back into their trench. He pulled out his gun and shot it into the air, as did a German on the other side. The moment's peace was over and they must now go back to war. That night, very few shots were fired, just shouts of Merry Christmas across the lines. A few months later, in March 1915, Arthur was badly wounded trying to cut the barbed wire protecting a German trench. He returned to war after this, but was killed with 11,500 men in May 1915 
as he went over the top to attack a German line in alleys. In this battle, 97% of the Irish rifles were wiped out, and on the other side, a German soldier named Adolf Hitler survived the battle which decimated the Irish rifles. Today's music was written, performed and produced by Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by myself, Orn. If you want to help support this podcast, you can do so by buying us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. We the Irish is an analyst production. Orn is Dum. Gurv Margot, Slonanish.